Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. All right, we're on a series we call Let No One Deceive You. We believe that the source for ultimate truth in our life is the Word of God. So uh, I've, I've kind of adopted this phrase. I heard somebody use it and I liked it. You know how we used to say, what in the world is going on? I believe people are going to start to say, what in the word is going on? Because what we're talking about today and the things I'm talking about in particular are about what's happening in the end, what people say the end times. And uh, this is what I believe the Bible will actually start to play out on the news. I believe the news will be behind I think it will be late, and I think it will be inaccurate. But some of the things will start to play out. And so I want us to understand the Bible is not just good for Sunday school lessons. The Bible is good for current day events. And it's getting more and more current all the time. So I'm going to show you what I mean by that today. So we're going to talk a little bit today about seeing the end through the truth. Here at the Rhodes Church, we get excited because we believe the Bible is more than just a book. It is the truth. So we get a little jacked whenever we open it up. So if you have your Bibles, come on, E. Rhodes family, Mount Carmel, North City, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Woo! <laughs> you crazy people. You crazy. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Bring your Bible to church. I don't care if your Bible's your phone or your whatever, but you need to bring your Bible. Don't take what I say for the gospel. Read your own Bible. I don't want you to say, well, this is what Chad says. I want you to see what this says, because what this says is the truth. So I'm, I'm open. Contrary to some people in the world, I'm open for the ulterior voices to be heard, because I only want to hear the truth of God's word. So this is what it says here in Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to jump in in verse 15. If you're ready, say yes. yes. All right, verse 15 says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by, and I asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. What are these things? You have to go back and read Daniel chapter 7 and read the, fir- you know, the first verses there, first 14 verses. I talked about it in previous weeks. It's a vision of these beasts coming up out of the great sea or the Mediterranean Sea. So verse 17, these great beasts, or those great beasts rather, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Now I want to highlight something. Notice verse 18 that Jesus says, hey, the saints of the Most High are going to receive the kingdom forever and ever. But look at what it says in verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. This is a vision from God. God gave it. God's giving this vision to Daniel. And notice what was the reaction to the vision from God. It says, I was grieved in my spirit. What does that mean? The word grieve means distress, anxious, pain, or sorrowful. So a vision of God caused this. It caused distress, anxious, pain, sorrowful. Then it goes on to say, and the visions of my head troubled me. Not like British, oh, I'm a little bit troubled today. Not not troubled like that. This word troubled means terror, frightened, or to be terrified. 
So God showed him something, and this was his response. He's freaking out, he's grieved in his spirit, and he's troubled, or he's frightened, or he's terrified. What does that mean? Here's what I got out of it. I just want to write down some thoughts I had as I looked at that, and I thought, okay, the vision from God troubled him, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. Here's what I think God's trying to say. God says, I'm going to show you some difficult things that are going to happen, and they may grieve and trouble you, but... Be encouraged because the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. This is an important pattern in our relationship with God that I think the church needs to be ready for. When I say church, I'm talking about the global church. Here's what I think they need to be ready for this principle. God's showing us that there will be difficulty, but that there will also ultimately be victory. Sometimes when we recognize that there's difficulty, we get discouraged and we get filled with fear. And God is saying, yes, I'm going to show you some things that's going to be hard, some things you may have to walk through in life that may be very difficult, maybe even terrifying, maybe even distressful. But I don't want you to focus on the difficulty. I want you to focus on the victory. God was preparing them for the challenges to come, not by minimizing the difficulty, but by revealing to them the magnitude of the victorious final outcome. When we are faced with seemingly overwhelming adversity like we are in 2020, the temptation is to throw up our hands and just wish that everything would go away. Anybody ever thought that? I just wish this would all go away. What if it doesn't go away? What if, what if the difficulty in my life doesn't go away? Maybe it goes away in this category, but it shows up in another category. If we think this, because it's easy to get tempted to believe this, that the presence of peace can only be found in the absence of adversity. And I want to encourage somebody today. I want to encourage Chad Everett today. Victory is not achieved simply in the absence of adversity. It's not just in the absence of problems that I get peace. No, it's even in the presence of problems I can have peace. Even in the presence of difficulties, God wants to do something in my life. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Gives us the victory. You can't have victory without an opponent. Hey, I won. Well, who'd you play? I just myself. Then you didn't win. You got to beat somebody. We don't hand out participation trophies. Sorry, I get a little competitive. Second <laughs> Corinthians 2.14 says this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Triumphing over what? Triumphing over distress, pain, sorrow, confusion, discouragement. Sometimes we have to triumph in tears. Sometimes we have to triumph in pain. Sometimes we have to triumph in confusion, in distress. But are we still going to trust God even when we don't understand? Even when we don't see how, even when we don't feel like it, even when it hurts us, will we still triumph? That's what God's calling us to do. We're called to triumph in the midst of adversity. So this is what God's telling them. He's saying, listen, I'm going to show you some tough stuff you're going to have to walk through, but be of good courage. You're going to receive the kingdom. Now jump, go ahead to verse 19. So this vision that Daniel got, he says, I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. Remember, the beast means kingdom. It's not an animal we're looking at. When you see the word beast, we think about some animal. It's the fourth kingdom, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth, iron, iron teeth, 
nails of bronze. Remember, iron was the Roman kingdom. If you haven't watched this, go back and watch the previous weeks. You'll catch up. Iron teeth represents the Roman Empire. Nails of bronze. Bronze represented the Greek Empire, which devoured and broke in pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up, so there were ten, and then there was another one, was the eleventh, and the eleventh one that came up before which three fell, so three of the ten kings before are going to fall after the eleventh one comes up, namely that horn which had eyes, that eleventh horn had an eyes and mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I'm kind of reading through this because we've already talked about it. You have to catch up. Verse 21, I was watching and the same horn, that 11th one, was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Excuse me, against them. Until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of who? In favor of the saints of the Most High. Let me just tell you something. You want to be on Team Jesus because the saints of the Most High come out on top. They're the ones who win in the end. They're the ones who win all the way through, even if they have to go through difficulty. We are always caused to triumph through Jesus. So he's saying, hey, uh, he's going to prevail for a little bit, and then the Ancient of Days is going to show up and kick some tail. And I didn't say that. I kind of added that. Sorry. And (laughs) judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. Here we go, explanation. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. Which is this kingdom? The fourth one. So ten horns are ten kings which arise from this kingdom. When we talk about horns, and again, I'm just trying to explain the Bible. When it talks about ten horns, horns grow out of what? Horns grow out of heads. So ten horns represent ten kings that grow out of ten heads, which represent ten kingdoms. Okay? Just making sure we understand what it's talking about. It can seem confusing, confusing, but if we break it down, it's not that bad. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, And another, the 11th one, shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and subdue three kings. We read about that in previous verses. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. This is the Antichrist. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change the times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So now this is what's happened. This beast comes up out of the sea and and he gives us this fourth beast kingdom. And this is what we talked about. I've got a slide here of what the beasts look like. There were four uh, beasts. We see the lion. We see the leopard that had four heads. We see the bear that had the three ribs in his mouth. And then the fourth beast is the one that looks like the dragon, has ten horns. Again, we talked about that a lot last week, so you can pick that up in week eight, I believe it was. So now let's go to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. Just breaking down what the Bible says in Daniel And then uh, we want to tie it. So we got these beasts. We got lions and bears and leopards and dragons. Oh, my. Revelation 13. I'm going to pull my board over while you're turning there. I got visual aids today. 
for you. Help you follow along. All right, Revelation 13, are you there? I know how many people, you're like me, but most of my life I ignored Revelation because I thought it was confusing. There's a bunch about beasts and dragons and weird creatures, and I thought I can't handle that, so I just skipped over it. I did. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go to heaven, so who cares? And then I started trying to study it and learn it, and I'm like, wow, this is probably the most important book in the Bible. There's a reason why the devil doesn't want us to know about the book of Revelation, because then we won't be in fear when we know how it's going to play out. We're like, what's she going to say? I know what's going to happen. I know what she's going to do. Anyway, Revelation 13, verse 1. Then I, so this is John, John the Apostle John, right? So Daniel was writing back in, in the Old Testament. This is way forward in the New Testament. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Doo, 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 that's important, sand of the sea. Beach on the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. Where's the Mediterranean Sea? In the Middle East. He wasn't standing on the coast of Florida. When standing coast of L.A., I was standing on the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of that sea, out of the Mediterranean Sea. This beast, what, what about this beast? Again, remember a beast is not an animal. I saw this animal come, no, I saw this kingdom rising up out of the Mediterranean Sea, having how many heads? Oh, didn't we read that in Daniel? And that's cool. Seven heads and ten horns. So seven heads and ten horns. We've already talked about that. Seven heads represents seven kingdoms or empires. Ten horns represents ten kings. And it says, and on his horn he had ten crowns, and on his head was a blasphemous name. So he got these ten horns coming out of seven heads, and there's ten crowns representing ten kings on each of these. So it's seven kingdoms, plain English, seven kingdoms. Historically, out of those seven kingdoms, ten kings rise out of there. And then on those ten kings, uh, or sorry, on those uh, horns were ten crowns representing the ten kings. So now look what this beast looks like. Go to verse 2. Now the beast which I saw, or the kingdom that I saw, was like a leopard. Like means similitude. His feet were like the feet of a bear. Does this sound like Daniel? Leopard, bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Okay, there we go. We've got the leopard, we've got the bear, we've got the lion. The same as we're in Daniel chapter 7. But notice they were like them. Like them. So the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So this kingdom that rises up has a similitude to the leopard, which represented the Greece empire, the bear, which represented Medo-Persia, and the lion, which represented Babylon. Now, i got a picture of what this beast, when it talks about like them, notice here's what it has. It's like those. i got a pointer today right there. Isn't that awesome? Huh? Yeah, high tech right here. So notice what it has. It's like a bear, like the leopard, like the lion. And so notice the, the heads. Remember how many heads this said? It has seven heads on this beast. And it had ten horns. So the seven heads. Remember, we've got the Babylon Empire was one head. Medo-Persian was one head. Remember, Greece was four. Why was Greece four? Because Alexander the Great rose to power at age 32. He died early. And his kingdom was divided up amongst his four generals. So now we put them together. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven heads. One for Babylon. One for uh, Medo-Persia, four for Greece, and one for Roman e equals seven. 
So this kingdom that had 10 kingdoms are going to arise out of this one different from the others. Now look at verse 3. And it says, and I saw one of the heads. What does the head represent? A kingdom, not an actual human head. I saw one of the heads, one of the kingdoms, as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. Now, some people have taught historically, if you've heard anything on the end times, that the Antichrist is going to come. And here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to shoot him in the head or cut off his head. He's going to die and he's going to be raised back to to life and everybody's going to worship the Antichrist. No, I don't believe that's the way it's going to happen. Because when we're talking about heads here, we're not talking about the human head of an Antichrist. We're talking about kingdoms. And that's important to make that distinction. Because kingdom, so, so a kingdom is going to rise to power, but then that kingdom's going to appear like it was mortally wounded. What does the word mortally mean? Mortally means it died off. So there's going to be a kingdom come to power. That kingdom's going to die off. And then all the world will marvel when it's healed, and they're going to start following the beast. So this kingdom that has a mortal wound dies off. It's going to come back. That kingdom's going to come back. And when people come see it come back, they're going to start to worship it. Now let's see what that, that looks like. Uh, go to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Are you with me so far? There's a lot of information I realize. And some people like, when I start reading this stuff, their eyes start glassing over. They're like, dude. But if it will take your time, go back and watch it. If you get it the first time, I'm going to be mad. Because I studied for hours to get this stuff. And if you're like, oh, yeah, I see that. <laughs> Read it at least four, four or five times just for my sake. Make me feel good. All right, so go back and listen to it. Pause it. Get your Bible out. Follow along in your Bible. I want you to see this because it's going to be important in the end times. Revelation chapter 17. This is another vision of John, the Apostle John, on the Isle of Patmos. Look at verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. Now he says wilderness, don't use Southern Illinois terms. When we talk about wilderness, we think about woods, right? Wilderness in the Bible is desert. When Jesus was taken off into the wilderness to be tempted, he wasn't taken off into the woods. He was out in the desert, all right? So when it says he carried me away in the spirit to the wilderness, to the desert, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. We'll talk about that woman Later. I just say later because I don't know when I'll get to it. Probably in week 72 of this series. (laughs) I saw a woman sitting on a beast. Stay focused. Which was full of names of blasphemy, having how many heads? Seven heads and ten horns. Man, it just keeps coming up. So let's see what that means. Jump to verse 9. Just for time's sake, all of it's good. But verse 9, here's the mind which has wisdom. In other words, I'm going to give you the interpretation. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Seven mountains, seven heads. What do seven heads represent? Seven kingdoms. Mountains and heads are the same. Seven kingdoms which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. This verse is important. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. All right, so here's, the, here's about this beast. This is, again, the Antichrist beast, the fourth kingdom, the end times kingdom. He's telling us right now, seven heads or seven mountains are going to sit, seven kings, five have fallen, one is currently, and the other is not yet. Here's what it's talking about. He says, there's going to be seven kingdoms, 
seven different rulers, seven different empires, it says one is. So when it says one is currently, that's talking about present tense. Now who's writing Revelation? It's the apostle John, and he's on the Isle of Patmos during what time of history? It's during the Roman time of history. Look it up. So when it says one is, one empire is, that's present tense. So now we know he's talking about six, five have fallen, one is. That's the Roman Empire. So this is where John is writing from. And he says five kingdoms or five mountains, five heads have fallen. What was the one before Roman? It was the Greeks. The Greeks conquered Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia conquered Babylonian Empire. And then these two we didn't talk about much. Babylonian Empire conquered the Assyrians. And the Assyrians conquered the Egyptians. So one, two, three, four, five have fallen. One is current Roman uh, Empire. And one is to come, which is going to be the seventh. So while John is writing this, he's saying there's another kingdom coming after the Roman Empire. He said one is to come, and it says when that one is to come, he said it's only going to last for a little while. When he comes, he must continue for a short time. So now we got to figure out who's the seventh one. History books will tell you. who was John didn't know because he's living in the present. He doesn't know who the seventh one is. We can look back and know who the seventh was. Who conquered the Roman Empire? Rome conquered Greek, conquered Medo. They all fell. So we've got the seventh one has to be whoever defeated and ended the Roman Empire. That's the seventh mountain. Who defeated the Roman Empire? Great question. Remember this about the Roman Empire in Daniel chapter 2. This was in 600 B.C. Whereas you saw the feet of, and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. Again, this was last week. You have to catch up. This is the, the Roman kingdom. The kingdom shall be divided. Daniel chapter 2, he says the Roman kingdom will be divided. Partly clay, partly of iron. Yet the strength of iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with the clay. Just as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Roman Empire, 603, this dream in Daniel chapter 2, he predicts that the Roman Empire, which will come later, will actually be divided. History tells us that the Roman Empire was divided into Eastern and Western Roman Empires in 285 AD. Let me bring up, here's the slide of the Roman Empire at its peak. See all that? This is all the Roman Empire at its peak in 117 AD. Okay? Daniel prophesied and interpreted through this dream that this empire would be divided in 600 BC. In 285, bring up the divided empire. In 285, they divided into Eastern Roman Empire and Western Roman Empire. That's over 900 years before it happened, the Bible predicted it would happen. That's pretty cool. Maybe not to you, but I'm just saying. So we had Western Europe, or Western Roman Empire, rather, that's uh, ruled out of Rome, and then we had Eastern Roman Empire, which was ruled out of Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, Turkey. So who conquered the Romans gets to be the seventh mountain. Many people, the western was clay and was weak. 
The Western Roman Empire was defeated over and over again. If you study this in history, you'll find that the Sacks, uh, the Germanian kingdom actually ended up, just to cut short, the Germanic kingdom uh, in 476 AD conquered Western Rome. 476 AD. So some people thought, ah, Germany conquered Rome in 476 because they thought it was about Rome, Italy, the western part. So they thought when Adolf Hitler comes along and starts killing all the Jews, he was the Antichrist because it has to be Germany is the seventh one. But they did not realize that the Roman Empire continued in eastern Rome for another thousand years until 1453 A.D., the eastern Roman Empire was finally overtaken by who? The Ottoman Empire, or another name is the Turks. They conquered Constantinople in 1453 AD, and Istanbul became the capital of the Ottoman Empire. So this one to come that John didn't know about was the Ottoman Empire. So now the Ottoman Empire grows and becomes big. Let's bring up the Ottoman Empire at their peak. Here's how big the Ottoman Empire was at its peak. So it became a vast empire. So the one who was not is going to come into an empire. It's going to grow. But then notice what it says. It must continue for a a short time. A short time. Well, what happened to the Ottoman Empire? It's a great question. They sided with Germany in World War I. And how many knows they chose the wrong team? You chose the wrong squad when you got on Germany. So now the Allies won World War One. World War, that's what, yeah, right, World War One. They won that war, and then afterwards the Ottoman Empire was broken up and dissolved. So it came to power, this kind of power, but after World War One, after 1923, they broke up and dissolved all of the Ottoman Empire at that that moment in time. So now look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says, The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven. You're like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Yes, it does. Pay attention. So now, remember when John was saying, there's one that is, five have fallen, one is, and one is to come. And then it tells us right here in this verse, who is the eighth? The eighth one is the Antichrist kingdom. You won't be able to read that probably, but I just wrote Antichrist there. So the Antichrist kingdom. So notice what it says in verse 11. The beast that was, the kingdom that was and is not. The kingdom that was and is not, the Ottoman Empire dissolved, it says, is of the seven, uh, sorry, is himself also the eighth and is of the seven. So the eighth kingdom has to be of the seven. It has to be one of these. And it's the one that was not and then it was. And then it disappeared again. So the Bible is telling us that the Ottoman Empire is going to be where the Antichrist kingdom is going to come out of. There's going to be a resurgence of the Ottoman Empire. Let me tell you, let me give you another proof for that. In uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 19, the Antichrist kingdom had the teeth of iron. Remember that? The Roman Empire, teeth of iron, but had nails of bronze. So the Antichrist is going to come out of the Roman Empire, but the nails of bronze tell us it's not the western part Nails of bronze represents Greece. 
It's not going to be the western part of the Roman Empire. It's going to be the eastern part. Bring up the slide of Alexander the Great's kingdom when he's divided. So this was all Alexander the Great's kingdom, the Grecian part. And then when he, was, when he died and they divided up into four, because the Antichrist is going to come out of one of the four, here's the solution, the green one. And look what most of this green up here is in Turkey. Now I want to give you another example. In Daniel 8, it tells us where the little horn is going to come out of. And out of one of them, one of the four generals, came a little horn which grew. Remember the little horn in chapter 7 of Daniel? That was the Antichrist, which grew exceedingly great. Here's for the direction. Here's a clue. Again, where's the Antichrist going to come from? This is in Daniel 8. This is, again, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. That's Daniel 8, verse 9. So he's telling us the Antichrist kingdom is going to come out of one of the four of Alexander the Great's kingdoms. And the little horn's going to grow, and it's going to grow towards the glorious land. The glorious land's right here. That's Israel. And he says he's going to grow towards the south, towards the east. So if we want to figure out where the Antichrist is going to come from, we need to start at the glorious land, and we need to go to the west and go north, right? We'll go backwards. So the Antichrist is going to come out of the glorious land, or the Antichrist, as we figure out where he's coming from, we start at the glorious land, we go to the west, and we go to the north, out of Alexander the Great's kingdoms. This is the one in Turkey that I think aligns most with where I think he's going to come from. Again, this is how I interpret it. You can interpret it however you want. I believe he's going to come out of that kingdom. Says the beast, uh, verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no kingdom as of yet at the time of this writing, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Again, tying that to Daniel chapter 7. Here's what's going to happen. Watch for this. Uh, bring up, uh, let's see, which slide do I want to use? I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. Let's, let's go to Ezekiel 38. Let me finish. I'll, I'll come back to that. Not today. Another day. Ezekiel 38. I'm going to have to have a video series where I just sit and can have more time and go through some of this. But Ezekiel 38. I want to show you something in the Bible. Why am I going through this? Because I want you to understand that the Bible is a relevant book to 2020. It's more relevant than the news. It's more relevant than social media. The news is always going to be late to the game. We have to stop looking for the news to tell us when the Antichrist is going to show up. They will never tell you when the Antichrist shows up because they aren't looking for him. So we've got to look to the Bible. Ezekiel 38. This is the Battle of Armageddon. When you talk about Battle of Armageddon, if you're not sure what that is, this is the end time battle. When Jesus comes back, these are the people that are going to fight against Israel to try and destroy Israel. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog. This is an actual leader of the land of Magog. So Gog is the leader of the land of Magog. The prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now it's important for you to understand this distinction. The prince of Rosh, the word Rosh, actually should be translated chief. It's not a proper name. It's like chief 
or the highest. It's a rank. So really that ought to be translated, says to you, Ogog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. You're like, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because a lot of people have tried to translate Rosh as Russia and said that Russia is going to be the one that comes against Israel. Russia is not the chief player coming against Israel. I'll talk about that because this is the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal is actually who it's talking about. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, your horses, your horsemen, all splendidly. This is God talking to them. Oh, great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Look at the other countries that are going to be involved. Persia, who's Persia? Iran. Persia is Iran. Most people from uh, Iran, traditional people, will actually refer to themselves as Persians. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. All of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all of its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. So here's the battle. Here's who's coming against Israel. Bring up the map of the Middle East. Yeah, that's, that's a great one. So here's what's going to happen. There's going to be 10 king coalition that I believe forms against Israel. Here's Israel right here. All these countries surrounding Israel, there's going to be a 10-king confederation that begins to form, starting out peaceful. But look who's coming against them in the end. We've got Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Togorma, Gomer. You're like, I don't know where those places are. They're not on the map. I did this studying for you, but you can look them up. Look up all of those words. You will find out. Most, if not all people agree that all those are in modern-day Turkey. So the army that comes against Israel in the end, Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Togorma, and Gomer, all five of those are found in modern-day Turkey. Persia, Iran, right here. Look for an agreement with Iran, Turkey, and Syria. Watch for it. You'll be like, I knew that. Watch, watch them get ready to come together. Iran and Turkey are going to come together. Watch for, it says Ethiopia. Ethiopia down here. Ethiopia, also Sudan and Somalia. This is who's also included in this battle in the Bible. When it talks about Ethiopia, it's talking about this region of Sudan, Ethiopia, and Somalia. And then lastly, Libya. Libya, you see it right there, the actual country, includes Algeria, Morocco. It also could include uh, Tunisia and Mauritania. All those could be included. Did anybody notice this week that Morocco just entered a peace deal with Israel? I'm just saying. Heads up. So now, we got to stop there. Why am, why am I giving this detail to you? Because I want you to understand, the Bible's been accurate historically. The Bible called it, bam, 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 called this one. Then he said the one that comes after them, it's going to be the eastern part of the Roman Empire. That's the Ottoman Empire. They're going to die off, World War I. Then they're going to have a resurgence. Watch Turkey. They're having a desire right now, a goal, to rise into power. I mean, i got a lot to say about this. Turkey considers itself the bridge between the West and the East. 
they're going to call themselves the bringer of peace. They're going to want everybody to come through them to bring peace to the Middle East. And it's going to be a false sense of peace because they're going to break a peace deal. They're going to have this 10-king coalition. I believe the Antichrist is going to come, rise out of that Assyrian-Turkey area. He's going to rise out of there. He's going to take out three kings in that coalition that does not agree with him. And then he's going to take over and rule all of that coalition. And he's going to break a peace deal with Israel three and a half years into it and blah, 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 blah. We can get into all that. But this is why we're laying it out, because this is what's happening in the world. It's what's happening in the world. So is it a good time to be a Christian? Only if you like winning. When I say winning, remember what I said in the very beginning, not without difficulty, not without pain, not without sorrow, not without confusion. One of the most difficult weeks in ministry for me this week. But I'm hanging on to the promise that the saints of the Most High, I'm not going to let go of my faith in Jesus Christ because I know he's coming back for me. And I want to win. I want to win at everything. Anything I do, I want to win. Give me a ping pong paddle, I want to win. It doesn't matter. But I'm saying I want to win for eternity. Eternity. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.